When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports, the draft analyst. And uh, before we get into the conversation, let's play the intro. Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Draft season is here. Come on, come on. There you go. To break down every need. They're not going to pick a quarterback. They need offensive linemen. They need defense. Every pro day. He had a phenomenal pro day. Explosive, really good in the three cone, the broad jump. And every mock. You could probably tell me if you think the Vikings would actually do it. I can tell you as a draft analyst that they absolutely should. Welcome to the Chris Trapasso Draft Show on Purple Insider. This is a good podcast to listen to leading into the draft. All right, what is up, Chris? Matt, how are you? I got to say, this is a big deal, me being a weekly guest on the Purple Insider. But as I continue in my career, I may never get a better intro than that. Like, if I advance to other companies, other careers, on TV, whatever, that will be probably the best intro that I ever get in my sports media career, which is amazing. Hats off to you and your team at the Purple Insider. Yeah. Uh, Manny Hill did that. Not just the yep. voiceover. He produced the entire thing. He is a mastermind of those. Uh, also an episode coming up later in the week with Manny Hill with our March Madness uh, bracket that we've come up with. So I don't want to say too much yet because it's a, a fun idea, I think. But we need to start off with since you and I last talked, the Vikings gave Kirk Cousins an extension keeping him in Minnesota through 2023, giving him a no trade clause. Uh, Let me tell you how fans are dealing with it. Not good, Chris, not good. They have, they have gone into two categories. There is the one category, which is the vast majority who is sort of shrugging or throwing up their arms or maybe really enraged. And then there's the smaller category that is doing everything they can to justify it. Uh, and and say that it's actually a great idea for the Vikings to have signed Kirk Cousins to this extension. So that's kind of where people are at. Uh, why don't you give your take and we could talk about what it means for their draft approach? Well, I think it uh, kind of probably erases Malik Willis uh, in the round in that round one conversation. Um, I think edge rusher corner where you can talk about both positions tonight, you know, or throughout the next couple of weeks. Uh, It's an interesting move from a a draft analyst perspective. That's one thing being a draft analyst. I'm not going to say this would sound ridiculous if I said that I'm a know-it-all, but as a draft analyst, you kind of have to know about teams, rosters and, Mm -hmm. you know, contracts and what, you know, what players are having contracts expiring in the, in the next season. So you kind of have to have a firm grasp on a lot of the players in the league and it works out. Because if you're evaluating 300 players, they get dispersed across the league. You remember those players. So it uh, was interesting to have a new front office and a new head coach say, let's go with Kirk Cousins again. But I I do think it goes back to conversation I believe we had during last year's pre-draft process. You and I can sit here and say, hey, build for the future, aim for the moon. But a lot of the times, and as we're seeing now with a new GM and a new head coach, these people just want to win like nine, 10 games and, and keep their jobs. They're not necessarily saying, Hey, if we don't win the Super Bowl, we don't care if we go one in 16, like they want to be competitive right away. And I think we've seen in Minnesota that with Kirk cousins, they are decently competitive team. The talent around him needs to be pretty abundant for them to be a playoff team. And if it's not great, 
they're probably not going to be in the postseason. So it was a little bit of a strange move. They had a fresh start. You would have thought, hey, maybe they'll say, let's just pick Malik Willis here. Um, but maybe they figured Malik Willis is a few years out from being really good. And they did look at this quarterback class and say, is Kenny Pickett much better than Kirk Cousins? Is he going to throw for 3,000 or for 4,000 yards and have a 67% completion percentage in year one? Do any of the other quarterbacks in round one, you know, inside the top 15 excite us that much? No. So that's probably why they did it. I still wouldn't have done it, but that's just from an outsider's perspective. Uh, I think important to remember that you and I can really not like the move. A lot of Vikings fans cannot like the move, but I think these new people in important positions in Minnesota want to be competitive and they don't want to start their, their first time as a head coach and first year as a GM, you know, going four and 13. Yeah, I think the most rational criticism from fans is the team is just not good enough roster wise player number two to 53 in order for this team to really go anywhere different than it's gone before. If it True. was, this would be a very different conversation. Uh, if this was 2018 and you were dropping Kirk Cousins onto a roster, I am not being hyperbolic here, that had 11 Pro Bowlers on the really roster. Really good team. Right, guys that either made it before or made it since on that roster. They had 11 of the 20 other non-Kirk Cousins players were Pro Bowlers. Uh, and so you could see why they would say, all right, we're going to drop this good quarterback onto this team. And then he's going to take us to where Case Keenum couldn't. Obviously that didn't play out, but at least there was a logic behind that. Whereas keeping him now just seems to set them back from taking the approach that they ultimately needed to take. And the teams that have done this, the teams who have tried to like, you know, grip on and not slide down the mountain, they usually end up just sliding down the mountain anyway. And I'm thinking of the Atlanta Falcons. I'm thinking of the Cincinnati Bengals with Andy Dalton, where they kept talking themselves into like, oh, it's it's a new coach or, oh, it's a, a new wide receiver or offensive lineman or defensive end or whatever it might be that we need to get. That's the difference. That's why we lost last year. And uh, I have was very critical last year and the last couple of years of Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman and their approach and the things that they did, the way that Zimmer handled the team, the locker room, the clock management, all these things. But, you know, even if Zimmer had been the best coach in the league, I don't think you're winning 12 games with the roster that you had. And so that's why I can't make it work. And as we speak right now, the Vikings biggest signing is a run stuffing defensive tackle and a middling linebacker who's okay and is described as knowing what he's doing. <laughs> so like I, these, these aren't the things that are taking you to the next level. So it's like, if you want to win right away, you're not really going any sort of all in approach because you can't. And if you want to win long-term locking up this position with a 34 year old quarterback is not really a, a proven way to do it. And I think that's where everyone um, who isn't, you know, fighting with each other 24 seven on social media is just sort of saying, I don't really get it. Yeah. The one last point that I want to make on this is that this could be like the idea of selecting Malik Willis was the uh, ultimate long-term view uh, choice or, or preferred decision from fans, from us for the Vikings. This in a way could be the new front office and Kevin O'Connell saying, you know, let's uh, have a different long-term view and let's be competent with Kirk Cousins, spend that first round pick on a edge rusher or a corner that's desperately needed, build up the roster. Maybe we get decent play from him. We are competitive. And then we'll, again, be in that same situation, hopefully, as the team we were in 2018 that has a bunch of good players on it where we weren't spending a first round pick on a quarterback, throwing him to the wolves, like you mentioned, on a roster that's not really that great relative to some of the elite teams or even the playoff teams in the NFC or the AFC. Uh, and then we're kind of stuck because that quarterback needed development. The roster wasn't good. Now what do we do? Now we're starting over again. Uh, I always think back to the Baltimore Ravens right before they drafted Joe Flacco. There was a thought that like they were already really a good team and they just placed him in to that roster was kind of a game manager, had the one you know amazing playoff run, won a Super Bowl MVP, got a huge contract. Maybe that is more of the idea uh, of what 
this Minnesota Vikings new regime wants to do. And I think Kevin O'Connell coming from the Rams, I mean, they were a team that was really good. They were held back by their quarterback, Jared Goff, who might be seen in a similar vein to Kirk Cousins. Then who knows what would happen, maybe not even in the draft, but on the veteran market in two or three years, uh, what quarterbacks emerge but aren't in a good contract situation. You make a trade, and all of a sudden you upgrade from Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford and you win a Super Bowl. So they might be taking a different long-term approach. Maybe it does set them back an extra year, but you're right. For as much as the right quarterback changes everything, you got to still have a good roster too, and the Vikings need to build up that roster this offseason and most importantly in the draft. Right. And I think it is a huge thing to be able to set up your roster for when you're going to place the quarterback in it. It's just that you could have seen a very clear path of, okay, you move on from cousins, get a little draft capital, which helps you right there. Even if you, you got a second and third round pick, that's very helpful to you. That's what Carson Wentz was traded for more or less. And then you have cap space to sign free agents to multi-year deals. I saw DJ Reed, who I'd brought up a couple times, a very good corner signed like three, him. Three years, $39 million. totally reasonable for a good player like that. Multiple seasons under control. And your goal would be to sign you know, a guard to a five-year deal or whatever, and then drop in a quarterback that you draft this year, next year, after he sat for a season. And what we've seen in recent years, and I looked at this yesterday to get a real snapshot of it, uh, is that teams who have that quarterback who's in the first round going into his second year – have routinely shot up to the top of the NFL in scoring. I mean, we even saw this. I was unimpressed at times with the Chargers offense. They finished fifth in the league in scoring. I mean, mm-hmm. and even with uh, Joe Burrow and Cincinnati, they finished seventh and went to the Super Bowl in his second season. Mahomes goes to the number one offense, Lamar Jackson to the number one offense. And I know people are saying, well, those are great quarterbacks. They sure are, and you have to draft a good one. But even, even Jared Goff's team was number one in terms of offense. Carson Wentz's team was number three in terms of offense and total scoring in his second year. So it gives you all this freedom and look at what Jacksonville is doing. Now you can argue that some of these moves are dumb and I would not disagree. Zay Jones, huh? But, but even (laughs) if they make a mistake on Zay Jones, it won't hurt them. They are trying to load up as much as they can around Trevor Lawrence for year two. This is a model that we have actually seen work. I don't know if it can work where you're locking yourself into a huge chunk of cap space still and then waiting till not this year, and this is what we're going to talk about, but next year potentially to draft a quarterback. And then if you can't build a good enough roster for next year, you have set yourself back several seasons and made your fan base sit through not two years if they go eight, nine or nine and eight. You've made them sit through six years of Kirk Mm -hmm. Cousins, of just spinning your wheels and going nowhere. That is a long time for fans to be patient with you and believe in you as an organization. And one more quick thing. Uh, I did get a text yesterday after saying on the show the other night that I was suspicious of the idea that maybe ownership was behind their decision to keep Cousins. And I, I got a text from someone that said that even on Kirk's side, they thought he was getting traded because they were collecting offers, but none of those offers were given the thumbs up. So wow. it seems like, you know, hey, everybody works for somebody except me. I work for me. But, uh, you know, so I, there's also that element, too, of like, was ownership willing to try to swing for great by moving on from good? And uh, the answer was was not so much. So here's my question for you, though, Chris. Uh, would you still draft a quarterback if a good prospect that they liked dropped to the second round? I wouldn't. Uh, I, I think seeing that this new regime, whether the ownership was meddling or not, um, wanted to see a year of Kirk Cousins, likely that quarterback, they would probably gravitate towards someone that has similar skill set to Kirk Cousins, kind of like Kellen Mond, who I know did not have the best rookie season in Minnesota. Um, and, and just being specific with this draft class, I can't see a quarterback that feels like he would fall into round two. Maybe Sam Howell, because he brings you more arm talent right now than what Kirk Cousins has. Um, if it was him, I would think about it because like we have said a million times, the right quarterback can change everything. But it would kind of feel against that long-term plan of building the roster and then hopefully dropping a quarterback into it. Draft a uh, uh, 
a defensive end if you go corner in the first round, draft another receiver. It's a deep receiver class. Do that instead of picking a quarterback in round two. You already have Kellen Mond on the roster as well. Um, so if it felt like Malik Willis was going to fall to the second round, who is a drastically different quarterback stylistically than Kirk Cousins, then I would say be all for it. Um, I don't think Desmond Ritter would last into the you know early stages of the second round either. He's a little different because of the athlete, the caliber of athlete that he is that we talked about last week. But no, I I would say hey, if you're gonna go with this long term plan of building the roster, then stick to it and draft as many non quarterbacks in this draft class. All right, let's uh, get into that idea then, because mm-hmm. I think the question is now, how are the Vikings going to assess some of these needs? Because as we speak here at uh, 625 Central Time on Wednesday, uh, you know, I mean, they, they have not done anything in free agency to improve their roster. Um, and they're also, you know, they're taking on the void years of Sheldon Richardson and of Anthony Barr, they don't get compensation picks for those either, which hurts them. Uh, you know, you move on from Michael Pierce, who when he played, I thought was actually really good. And you move in a guy who's, you know, he's okay in, in Harrison Phillips, but he's not a difference maker. We haven't seen what they're going to do with Daniil Hunter yet, whether that contract is going to be extended, which I think is the most likely or converted, restructured. I, if they haven't traded Adam Thielen yet, he's going to get restructured. So that means like you kind of are what you are for a roster right now. And that leaves two positions to me as the like shining ones that are far above the rest in terms of filling spots right now. And that's defensive ends and corners. So help me out, Chris. I've been only watching quarterbacks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so far. Uh, wh- what is your feeling on the defensive ends and corners in the early part of this draft? Well, I would say that defensive end and corner are probably in the top three position groups in this class in terms of strength. I think wide receiver and edge are at the top. Then probably next is corner, which it makes sense. I mean, the college game is all about throwing the football, getting after the passer, and defending the pass. That's what the NFL has turned into. So the Vikings sitting there inside the top 15, I I think they're in really good shape. I I can't say, I mean, maybe you would be the one better or – you definitely would be the one better to say what direction they should go in. But to me, it would be almost a coin flip and would be dependent on who's available. If they go corner, if they go edge rusher, um, I, I think wide receiver, they could wait until round two to get a little bit better value. But if they like adore Garrett Wilson and they see shades of Stefan Diggs that I could certainly get behind, I would not hate that either because it's, it's, it's maximizing Kirk Cousins. It would be obviously like we're talking about help the future quarterback, whoever that may be in 2023 and beyond Adam Thielen getting up there in age to compliment Justin Jefferson. This first round receiver would be a rare first round receiver who wouldn't come in and would be drawing number one corners as a rookie. That's a huge plus that we've seen a lot of these first round wide receivers beyond Jamar Chase kind of struggle out of the gate a little bit, um, a fair amount of them over the past couple of drafts to be able to say, Hey, you're going to see nickel corners and, number two corners because Justin Jefferson's going to be shadowed by the number one and he's going to have safeties rolled over the top. That would be huge. So I think the positional strengths in this draft class really align with, to me, the three biggest roster needs for the Vikings. And I would totally understand if they did draft defensive end or corner, and I've got a draft sim here using the PFF draft simulator that we're going to go through and I'll tell you the available players. And uh, you could tell me what you think they should do at that point with the available prospects. We'll do that in just a second. But uh, if they were to go wide receiver here, then I could start to see it a little better for what their idea is. That's the big issue that I think everyone's having is what, is the plan that you have. So you've brought back cousins. You have no money. You've signed two defensive players to fairly cheap contracts, no offensive players, a swing guard. That is just a guy, basically another version of Dakota Dozier or Mason Cole, that kind of guy. So that's not going to be an impact, Uh, a blocking tight end. Like these are the guys that you've signed so far and nothing really to help Kirk cousins. So you extend him but then don't do anything at least in the first couple of days that's going to change the outcome of Kirk Cousins. So unless you believed that Gary Kubiak, Kevin Stefanski, this offensive system was just so clueless and lost, which I don't believe that at all, that 
uh, Kevin O'Connell is just going to change the world with the same set of circumstances. That doesn't really match up. But if they went into the draft and drafted offensive players to put around Kirk Cousins, they drafted a receiver, an alignment or something, I think at least then you'd be saying, okay, all right. So your plan is to just build this foundation and see if Kirk can win with it. And then if he can't, the next quarterback is going to be able to be plopped into an amazing situation. I could start to see that. Yeah, here's what I would say too. And this is kind of a blanket statement about how I view uh, positional value that that we've talked about over the past two years that I think is definitely needs to factor in, not just for draft analysts, but for teams. If you're in a coin flip situation and maybe there's some extenuating circumstances and you're like, should we go defensive end or wide receiver? Go offense. Pick the offensive player. Don't hope that a wide receiver you like that feels like good value uh, will be there in round two because for as deep as this wide receiver class is, and yes, we'll probably see a third or a fourth rounder that in a couple of years is good. I think teams understand that it's deep and might be a little bit concerned like, hey, what if everyone just wants to get in front of the depth of the class and we see seven receivers go in the first round? Then suddenly you're sitting there you know, in the late 40s in round two and going, oh man, like the top eight or nine receivers are already gone. And we've seen a lot. Go look at the last three or four drafts. Early in round two, like picks 33 through 45, a bunch of receivers have been selected. So even if there are only four or five receivers that go in round one, it's not a guarantee that even a a consensus top eight or a top 10 receiver would be there. One point that I will make too is that Kevin O'Connell coming from the Sean McVay system, probably the heaviest 11 personnel system in football, three wide receivers. You have Justin Jefferson, you have Adam Thielen, a great route running combination, youthful explosion, the nuanced game of Adam Thielen. Maybe you want to get a marquee number three wide receiver. I know they didn't really have that um, in Los Angeles, but they brought in Odell Beckham Jr. after Robert Woods got hurt this past year. I think the idea was to have a legitimate three-headed monster at wide receiver. So I, I would be more for a wide receiver in the first round even if there's a little bit more depth, just because I think it's an offensive predicated league and a really good wide receiver, Garrett Wilson, say at number 12 overall is going to move the needle more than even a good edge rusher as a rookie. Folks, support for Purple Insider is brought to you by Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools, and they recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle Performance Package. Four million men have trusted Manscaped, and you can check out their exclusive offer for 20% off and free shipping with the code 20insider at manscaped.com. Manscaped sent me the performance package and I could say that it's a game changer, especially when it comes to their nose and eyebrow hair trimmer called the Weed Whacker. I'm a unibrow guy, so I need to keep that in check for all the YouTube videos and streams that we do. You've probably also heard of the lawnmower as well, and they've come out with a 4.0 version, which is waterproof. It has an LED light and advanced skin safe technology, so you don't have to worry about any nicks or cuts. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code 20insider. That's 20insider at manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. The code 20insider. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you that receivers, especially when given a favorable situation, can be really good right away. And I think we've seen that a lot. And that's not a disrespect to KJ Osborne, who had a good year last year. But Mm -hmm. the reality of receivers is they get banged up and you need extra guys. Like This was with Adam Thielen last year where KJ Osborne's nice in the number three slot. But when he's got to move up to the number two, it just wasn't the same. And Kirk Cousins wasn't the same because anytime you take anything away from Cousins and make it not perfect, then his play starts to noticeably dip. That's what has happened both times Thielen has gotten hurt in the past. And I also think it's a, it's a play for today and it's a play for tomorrow because you're Mm -hmm. setting up the foundation for the future uh, partner for Justin Jefferson to be a duo And also Adam Thielen is just not long for being a top receiver. He's probably not anymore at this point to begin with. Like he's probably just in the category of being a good player at age 32, as opposed to a great player, which he was three, four years ago. That's the thing in the NFL, man, you just get old so fast. I was thinking about the, the age that Daniil Hunter is right now is when Mario Williams signed to Buffalo and Mario had a couple okay years was never really the same. And, you know, there's some players that go deep into their careers, but when you've been playing since you're 20 or you're getting into your thirties, I mean, it's really very hit or miss on whether these guys continue their play. And I know Buffalo, we'll talk about this, just signed Vaughn Miller at age 33 to a six-year contract. You're like, okay, guys. I mean, I guess for next year, that's cool, but you're really taking your life in your hands. So I think the Vikings have to consider all those things. Um, Do you want to get to this draft sim? Let's do it. All right. Let's get yeah. to this draft. Because now we've, we've talked about all the possibilities. Let's see it actually play out and let me be the GM on the clock here. Okay. All right. So Aiden Hutchinson goes number one to Jacksonville. That seems like a lock. In this sim, Kayvon Thibodeau goes to Detroit, which I would not be oh. surprised. Uh, Iki Aquanu ends up going to the Texans at number three. Kyle Hamilton jets fourth overall. Evan Neal to the New York Giants with the fifth pick. Uh, Derek Stingley Jr., six. Trayvon Walker, seven to the the Giants. Sorry, six was uh, the Panthers. Number eight is Ahmad Sauce Gardner at number eight to Atlanta. Seattle takes Charles Cross with their pick from Denver. Um, George, is it Carl Aftis? Carl Aftis. Carl Aftis, okay. Uh, He goes 10th to the New York uh, Jets. And then Malik Willis, 11 uh, by the Commanders. So, I mean, we've got a lot of different options here. PFF's top suggested players for me, Trent McDuffie, uh, Drake London, Garrett Wilson. I don't think a linebacker makes a whole lot of sense here. Um, uh, Devontae Wyatt is on the board. Here's one that I think Vikings fans would be more split than ever is Tyler uh, Linderbaum, the center from Iowa. Jordan Davis is here. There's lots of quarterbacks that are here still. David Ajabu, Jermaine Johnson. I mean, there's a ton of players who you would feel pretty good about at number 12. So the two corners off the board are Sauce Garner and Derek Stingley? Yeah. Or is Stingley not off the board? They're both off the board, yep. They're both off the board. So in this scenario for me, and if you look at just a consensus board, like obviously if one of your listeners was doing this, they could just follow the suggestion from PFF, and I have a ton of respect for the work that they all do there. Um, My thoughts would be different. And you do, I, I think, have to understand where players are probably going to be picked. Like I, we haven't talked about him yet and we will. I love Arnold Ebikati from Penn state. He's a really explosive, like advanced pass rush move edge rusher. He's like in my top 15. If I was a GM of a team, if I was running the Vikings, I would not pick him here because it feels like he's going to go way later than this. And he literally could be available. What are the Vikings pick 46, 47 mm-hmm. in round two? He might be available there. So I don't think I would go in that direction. With George Karloftis, that was a guy that I was zeroing in on as you were saying the names. I think he's pro-ready, 4-3 defensive end. I know that you know 3-4, 4-3 is kind of mixed together today. But high floor, high upside, him being gone. Um, and the two, my two top corners, Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley gone. I think, I mean, to kind of repeat what I was saying earlier, I would lean t- – toward Garrett Wilson at this point. I think um, for all the reasons that I already pointed out, uh, I'm not as high on Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. I think he literally had one awesome practice at the Senior Bowl, and then everyone was like, he's a top 10 pick. If you watch his film, 
he's good. I think he kind of reminds me, I think at best that we talk about draft ranges, he could be like a Zadarius Smith or a Matthew Judon type if he reaches his full potential. Uh, I, I still think he's a little bit raw. He's not a tremendous athlete, not super bendy. So any of the other edge rushers, Boye Mafe from Minnesota, that I'm sure a lot of your uh, listeners know really well, had a huge pro day yesterday, uh, jumped like 41 inches at 260 pounds, a little bit early for him here. So I would just go Garrett Wilson and really have no regrets about it and say, hey, you're going to be plugged in next to Justin Jefferson. If you get open, Kirk Cousins is going to throw you the football. I mean, maybe scramble drills, you're not going to get too many balls thrown your way, but he could be in, like truly instant impact. Like week one, I could see Garrett Wilson scoring a touchdown and having five or six catches. He's that type of wide receiver, and the situation would be really good, uh, especially too, not only just learning from how advanced Justin Jefferson's game is at like 24 years old. How about from Adam Thielen? Releases off the line of scrimmage, tracking the ball down the field. Even at this point into his 30s, not being as sudden and dynamic of an athlete as he was, but using change of pace in his routes, head fakes, shoulder fakes. Garrett Wilson already has a lot of that to his game, but being in a wide receiver room with two, I think, technicians at the wide receiver spot in terms of getting open would not only just help him as a rookie, but would could potentially turn Garrett Wilson into another superstar in this rich history of Vikings having awesome wide receivers. So I cannot advocate enough and have not been paid to bring you this advertisement, uh, the PFF mock draft simulator, every player you can click on and get all of their advanced stats and also where they were mocked uh, throughout or where, yeah, where they were mocked throughout the draft process at the end of the college football season, Jermaine Johnson was expected to be like the 40th overall pick. That's now, where I have him graded. Yeah. I, now he's in the top I, I graded. I graded edge rushers right after quarterbacks, and I was like, I knew that the statistics for Jermaine Johnson were really good. I watched a lot of Florida State games last year. My brother-in-law is a big Florida State fan. And I was like, yeah, this looks like an early second-rounder quality player, not perfect, pretty far from perfect, but but has the strength, the length, blah, blah, blah. And then he has one good practice at the Senior Bowl, sits the rest of the week out to kind of just sit on that, on that or to stand on that first practice. And now suddenly it's like, oh, he's going top 15. And I don't, and he had a good combine. It wasn't like, uh, oh my God, this guy's like the next Von Miller. And when I put him in my mock drafts, like in the 20s, people are like, there's no way he's lasting that long. I just think he's good, not great. And if you're picking at number 12 overall, I, I think you want a great player. And I think Garrett Wilson in that scenario has the best chance to be a great player that really moves the needle for Kirk Cousins and the next quarterback. Yeah, so it seems like you feel that the corners and the defensive ends, that there's two dudes at each position that are likely to go before 12. And then if you don't want those guys or you don't get those guys, then you should really, yeah, you should really either trade down or take the top wide receiver. Because if you're getting the number one wide receiver on the board, I feel like your odds are pretty good to get something here. And I I don't know how much of an impact it will have, but where Kevin O'Connell came from. They drafted Tutu Atwell. They kept adding wide receivers and some of them didn't work out, but some of them did. I mean, Van Jefferson turned out to be a decent wide receiver for them and they got uh, Deshaun Jackson. That didn't work out. They got Odell Beckham. Like they just kept saying more receivers, more because receivers. of the 11 personnel. Cause they, right. cause they need to roll out three wide receiver sets. So for like you mentioned earlier, KJ Osborne, good player, but I don't think, this new regime and Kevin O'Connell will be just complacent with what he's already had. And Hey, this guy, you know, he's solid. I think there's a, Hey, let's keep cycling through the wide receivers until we get a really good one. And I think not only just because of the situation, but just the type of wide receiver Garrett Wilson is there are shades of Stefan Diggs to his game. Do you think that anything over these last few days in free agency, aside from the Vikings more or less eliminating themselves from the conversation for quarterback. Although I'm going to run, can I go to this to a two round set? Maybe I'll go to a two round mock and Let's see. Uh, let me see who which quarterbacks up, are there. Yeah, if there's still yeah. any quarterbacks or if they're all taken. Let me let me do that. Uh, but answer this question first. Did anybody's draft plans in the top of in front of the Vikings change with the way that free agency has played out so far? In your opinion. I mean, in terms of a team that could pick a quarterback or not? Uh, no, just in general, like any any of the teams ahead of the Vikings, like as we're trying to simulate and everything else. Like, do you think that, uh, for example, Jacksonville 
you know, that like it did it change that they're going to pick Aiden Hutchinson or something like that. Um, I feel like probably not like Jacksonville spending all this money doesn't change anything. No, there's not. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the top 11 here and it doesn't seem like any splash free agent that we've seen over the past three days has been uh, completely changing the top 10. I think a lot of the, both New York teams still have the same needs, secondary offensive line, even though they they've added some pieces uh, to both of those facets of their offense and defense, whether Aiden Hutchinson goes one or goes two, I don't really think it matters. We're going to see, like you mentioned at edge rusher and corner, there's like the top two guys, then a gap, then a bunch of really good players from uh, back third of round one into round three. That's the same at offensive linemen too. Like, the tackle position, there's Evan Neal, Iki Aquanu, and Charles Cross. After that, I think there's going to be six to eight to ten picks where there's not an offensive tackle off the board right around where the Vikings pick. So looking at those teams, unless I'm blatantly forgetting someone uh, that landed with teams that have the first 11 picks, I don't really think there's been any drastic changes. Okay, so the answer is, yeah, they're all gone. Uh, the last quarterback in this draft sim goes at number 40, and that's Desmond Ritter, and that means Carson Strong is available in the second round. But I I just don't think I can be – we do the talk me into. I don't think I can be talked into Carson Strong. I, mean, I, I know that he's got an arm, and he was one of the leaders by PFF in terms of big-time throws. He also played at Nevada, and he has no mobility, and I wasn't impressed at the Senior Bowl. Like, I just have not come up with anything. And even the reports were not good about his interviews. Like, I've come up with no reason to take Carson Strong. You know who he kind of, like, sort of reminds me of a little bit is uh, Mason Rudolph of that draft, where it's like, oh, he could sneak into the first round. And the whole NFL is like, nah, nope, hard pass. Third rounder. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say – Carson Strong had a lot of buzz before the season because his 2020 was pretty good. The arm was there. The mobility seemingly got worse. I believe it's like a high school knee injury that he had surgery on recent. Um, Carson Strong feels like that. He feels like someone that maybe he's that guy. There's always a quarterback that not only just ascends to number one, like Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, but always like that right in late April, like, hey, this guy could sneak into one of the last few picks in the first round. And then he goes in like round four. That's what it feels like for Carson Strong. So at 47 overall, I think that would be way too rich for him. And you're getting a Kellen Mond, Kirk Cousins kind of clone in terms of his strengths and weaknesses. It goes back to our original point where I just don't think that makes a lot of sense for a team that needs to build out its roster. Folks, we've got an even better offer to tell you about from Soda Stick. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, one word, you can get 15% off your purchase. That's right, at SodaStick.com, your place for Minnesota sports-inspired apparel. You can get 15% off just by using the code PURPLEINSIDER. I've told you about all the great football designs, but they've added a few more, including the Axe is Back for Minnesota football fans. You can get that on a shirt, on a hat, and also Randy Moss is the GOAT, the Purple People Eaters, Bud Grant Designs for the old school fan, plus the hockey and basketball teams are both actually exciting this year, and SodaStick has you covered there as well. Go to SodaStick.com, that is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, and use the code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off. If you're going to pick somebody, it's either got to be a first round talent that you have graded that drops and you're surprised, or it's just take one in the first round. And those are your odds. If you go past that, it's like Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, and nobody else except for Tom Brady. (laughs) And so so, uh, even last year, and I still get questions about Kellen Mond. What went wrong with Kellen Mond? He's a third round pick. I don't know. Like exactly. what, went, what went wrong with Kyle Loletta? What went wrong with Davis Webb? What went wrong with, I don't know. Like they're just not good enough because they're third round pick. Um, so anyway, I wanted to ask your reaction for some of the moves around the NFL, starting with Julio Jones being released. Um, surprised. Where do you think Julio Jones ends up? Or, or should he just like call it a day? Guy can't stay healthy. <sighs> I'm kind of leading toward the latter. Uh, Maybe it's just because I, I don't want to see someone or I guess people can do what they want, obviously players, but someone that was so good in his prime and was like ridiculous. I don't want to see like four years of him, like being a average at his very best wide receiver. I don't want his, you know, younger people to watch Julio Jones be like, Oh, this guy sucks because in his prime Julio was the 
prototypical wide receiver that can do everything it was a little surprising because they had to designate him as a June 1st or post June 1st cut. So like they're having to spread out the dead cap. Uh, and, but what it does say to me, which is kind of why I'm leaning toward him just saying, Hey, I'm calling it a hall of fame career. I'm done. You would have thought they could have got something on the trade market for him. Like, would it have been that hard to get a sixth or seventh rounder even for Julio? Maybe that's like too much of a disgrace and it's almost embarrassing if you only get a seventh rounder and and they didn't want to embarrass Julio Jones doing that. I was a little surprised at that, but I think Julio, you know, for as much as he wasn't fully healthy last year, being what 32 or 33, I think he is. If there's someone that could still play, uh, at a high level, being healthy, it's probably someone in as good of shape as Julio Jones. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if he continues. I don't think we're ever going to see, you know, average over 100 yards per game Julio Jones again. Um, but maybe get with the team, don't have injuries, and he could be a solid number two wide receiver uh, in 2022. I also think the teams just do less ridiculous stuff that trading for Julio Jones after you've just seen him be a broken man for several years. Most teams look at that and go, "Ah, I don't think so. That's just not a good, it's not a good play. And it's exactly what we're talking about. Like Julio Jones and Adam Thielen are not that different in age. And that's what you have to be concerned about. And that's why you have to consider a wide receiver before I get to a couple of these other news items that I want your reaction of favorite classic wide receiver, legendary wide receiver that ended in a weird place for his career. I'll give you two examples that came to mind as you were talking about Julio. Uh, Randy Moss, Tennessee Titan, certainly strange. Chris Carter, Miami Dolphin. Oh my Um, God, you're right. I forgot about that. Jerry Rice, Seattle Seahawk. And uh, Andre Reed, Washington Commander. (laughs) All these things happen. um, how about Andre Johnson, Indianapolis Colt? That's a good one. That was weird because he seemed like the consummate, like Carl Malone play his entire career in Houston, leave that, uh, obviously at the time, young franchise as the leader in receptions, yards, receiving yards, play with a bunch of terrible quarterbacks. And I believe he just went for one year to the Colts and was like, okay, it was in the division kind of felt like Thurman Thomas ending his career uh, it, like with the Miami dolphins after years of battling the dolphins, that one, Andre Johnson to me, to me talk about someone that was the, the prototypical wide receiver, big physical could get open contested catch yards after the catch. That was Andre Johnson. I think that one just never really looked right to me for that final season for Andre Johnson. Mm. Carl Malone was a Laker at the end. Remember? Oh, he was, you're right. Yeah. He was not a yep. career. He was not a career Utah jazz, but yeah, yeah. that's, Kind of a similar feel then, I guess, for Andre Johnson that it's like you're going to the Colts to end your career. Like, I guess Carl Malone, like landing with the Lakers trying to win a title, I, I, that makes or that made some sense. But the Andre Johnson one was a little strange to me. Okay. Another one here Baker Mayfield wrote on Twitter in his notes app a big goodbye, mostly it looked like. And uh, I see lots of different opinions of Baker and his decision to put something out there and uh, uh, some people defending it saying, well, he's an emotional, passionate player. So there you go. That's him. And some other people saying, including Chris Mortensen, that the Browns want an adult at quarterback. Yikes. And so this, this, call, this ties into draft theory, my friend. Here's why. Because you stirred the internet by saying that uh, the analytics community took an L with Baker Mayfield. Now, that's a little debatable because if you're projecting any quarterback, you probably don't ever project them analytically to be a superstar. You probably have somewhere in the middle, and he is somewhere in the middle. But, uh, you know, I remember debating this with my friends from PFF and analytics people about Baker. And the thing I kept coming back to is I know his numbers are great, but isn't the guy a dingbat like it, like it the, the, doesn't anyone notice this and and if he wasn't like a white entitled quarterback would he be drafted in the second round for the way that he acts i mean just it right and i think draft theory wise you have to focus more on the negatives than the positives like the positives are that's why they're being talked about as a first round pick but what negatives could really implode a prospect being a dingbat is a negative that could definitely implode a quarterback prospect. I'm not sure it does a wide receiver, but it absolutely does for a quarterback. And that's what we've seen with Baker immaturity throughout his entire time in Cleveland. 
Yeah, I have a lot of points on this, but I'll I'll try to summarize so we don't go for like an hour and a half on this episode. Because I did tweet that yesterday morning about the analytics um, field or whatever taking an L on that. And I definitely know how analytics work. I get that it's just a suggestion. It's, you know, he has the best opportunity, but that's what scouts do too. I'm not saying I know for a fact that Aiden or that Kyle Hamilton is the best player in this class, just from watching film, factoring it all in. And I remember that 2018 class vividly, my first at CBS sports, the bills drafting or in the quarterback market. I studied those quarterbacks as deeply as anyone to your point though. I, I wasn't factoring in the off field stuff, having not met these quarterbacks. I wasn't doing it in person interviews I thought the situation around Baker Mayfield, uh, he was kind of the original Tua or Mac Jones where the statistics were through the roof and it seemed like good players. And now five years later, we're like, oh my God, that Oklahoma team had like 15 for, like NFL players out of the whole line got drafted. Mark Andrews. I want to say, did he even throw to CD lamb when he was a freshman? Maybe he did. Uh, Marquise Brown, a super great environment. That's what I thought was never going to be able to be replicated in the NFL, but to your point about the immaturity that I didn't factor into my evaluation of him, and ironically a Vikings tie-in, my comparison for Baker was a stronger-armed Case Keenum because Case Keenum at Houston threw the ball all over the lot. That's how I kind of viewed Baker Mayfield. Watching Baker in Cleveland, you saw, like you mentioned, the immaturity. I thought he showed that he was very insecure as a quarterback, that he has a bad game and a you know, a Cleveland Plain Dealer reporter writes a scathing column instead of just literally not caring like most secure quarterbacks would be. He comes out and he voices his opinion. He tweets at the guy. Josh Allen had bad games. He's never done that. Lamar Jackson was called a wide receiver coming out of college. He's barely mentioned that when he started running the football a ton and wasn't that great as, as a passer, got criticized. Let it just run off his back like Baker showing that insecurity I think is as big of a red flag as anything physically that a quarterback can show this past season Derek Carr had probably his best season Raiders get to the playoffs had a good game there against the uh, Bengals in the first round Derek Carr's another one any bit of criticism he gets he is whining and saying I'm shutting out all the noise and I don't like you guys I think that's a red flag. I think that shows that a quarterback has problems dealing with adversity of any kind. If he can't deal with seeing a mean tweet from a reporter writing an opinion column, how is he dealing with adversity in the locker room if one of his teammates comes at him after a bad game? Or a wide receiver, if Justin Jefferson wants the ball more, how is he going to deal with that? So that is one thing, and I think I've tweeted it throughout his career, that Baker was showing red flag after red flag after red flag by getting into these Twitter spats with, again, media and Colin Cowherd, who cares? You have a lot more to focus on than what Colin Cowherd is saying to fill the air and get people angry to generate views on the internet or on his or for his radio show. So you're right. He showed those signs coming out of Oklahoma. And I think being in the era of everyone has film, we have so many more analytics. I remember that being like, hey, He's just really passionate and he's grabbing his crotch on the sideline. He's planting his flag at Texas, whatever it was, Ohio State, that people kind of dismissed that and said, hey, this it's the new generation. This is how quarterbacks are. I'm not saying I'm an old man or like being old school about it, being an old football guy. I'm 34 years old. Not I'm not that. But I think that that matters. I think the quarterbacks, when Tom Brady has a bad stretch, he doesn't, you know, get in fights in his press conference he owns it he takes accountability Baker Mayfield has just kind of not only failed a lot on the field but has failed almost at every turn when it comes to dealing with the media and dealing with criticism I think if your quarterback can't do that then it's very very unlikely that he is going to be a high level producer for multiple seasons for your franchise I think it's a window also into what he's like to deal with for the team yeah. and for the coaching mm -hmm. staff. And this has been an issue also with Carson Wentz, who maybe a public. Yes, absolutely. Pub he's yeah. another one. Public facing has been better about not doing the stuff you just said, but behind the scenes, we got two teams straight. If you can't be coached by Frank Reich, I don't know who can coach <laughs> you then. Right. I'm sure the yeah. very stable Washington commanders will be just fine with him. So it's, it's an interesting thing because uh, you know, I also think that, 
you kind of have to recalibrate some of the ways that you look at the numbers and what they tell you when there is so much talent on a roster. And it's very, very, very difficult. Maybe the most difficult thing in analysis is to say, how much did the guy's circumstance make a difference? Because I mean, I remember Cam Newton, he does the thing with John Gruden and he can't even like tell any plays because they were just showing him cards or telling him it's play number one. And he's like, okay, let's do play number one. Then he gets into the NFL. And I remember talking to Jeremiah Searles about this. Searles said his command of the offense, of the NFL offense, every read, every assignment was, was amazing. He was in total command and it was like, okay, so we painted this guy as if he doesn't know anything about football. He comes out, wins immediately, becomes like the, you know, just this, you know, master of how all of these things work and a franchise quarterback. You're like, well, that's because he was in the circumstance where that's how they did things. And I don't know how to factor uh, all of those, those elements. And that's why you should draft quarterback anyway, because you never really know. So, exactly. uh, Anyway, well, Chris, uh, another fun Chris Trapasso draft show. And maybe the next time we talk, we'll have a free agent signing for the Vikings to ask you yeah. about. Maybe. Yeah, I can say about Harrison Phillips being a Bills guy. I don't know how much a one technique is going to move the needle, uh, but he did seem like the light did seem to come on for him in the second half of this contract year that he was just in. Uh, I was a big fan of him coming out of Stanford. High energy knows how to defeat blocks in the run game, decently powerful. And he showed a little bit of pass rush ability that I didn't really think he showed that much of when he was in college and certainly didn't early in his Bills career. So I, I think they're getting a high character, high energy. One technique, again, how much does that move the needle? Maybe not a ton, but maybe realizing, like you mentioned, that they weren't going to have a future for Michael Pierce on this roster, they they felt that that was a pretty sizable need, um, at least early in free agency. So, yeah, hopefully next week we can talk about more free agents for the Vikings to sign. But they did get a quality player in Harrison Phillips. Just nose tackles today are just not going to do a lot in terms of affecting your win and loss uh, record. Yep, and uh, coming on the back of the Cousins extension, it was sort of hard to discuss how, mm -hmm. right, like you said, how is this one technique going to help them improve <laughs> their run defense? I don't know. Who cares? Let's talk about the quarterback. So that's how it's been here for the last few days. So we'll talk again soon, Chris. Thanks for your time. Make sure you check out Chris's work, cbssports.com, and also at Chris Trapasso on Twitter. And we will 